We are in Exodus chapter 19. So if you will turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 19. I believed early in the week that we would have been uh, in both Exodus 19 and 20 just to bring you to a kind of a basis. Exodus 20 is the giving of the Ten Commandments. And so I really thought that 19 would be kind of a transition chapter and we would just roll right into the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. And uh, the Lord really kind of just altered that uh, on Friday morning in my time with the Lord and then Friday day in my interactions of the day, God was doing some things in me on a personal level all the way up through uh, kind of Saturday, Saturday morning, then uh, Saturday afternoon, then by Saturday evening, I knew that God wanted to do something different. And so, and I already knew what the difference was. I just knew we were gonna focus on chapter 19 in its totality, or six verses there, if you will, and uh, not go into chapter 20. That means that the four-hour sermon will only be two hours today, and so... (laughs) Can I get an amen? (laughs) Okay. So uh, the title of today's message is A Holy Nation. A Holy Nation. The two words I want you to be thinking about, number one, holy, and number two, nation. A nation. Exodus chapter 19, verses one through six. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Now, timing-wise, remember the exodus occurred and their leaving of Egypt and the land of Goshen was on the 15th of Nisan. And if you're one who tracks the Israeli feasts, there are three feasts that occur in the springtime, Passover being one of those feasts. And that is the third of the three feasts in the springtime. And the, the feast that is next is the Feast of Pentecost. It's 50 days later. Well, They've just moved beyond that timing, if you will, and although not established at this time, it is something to ground us in terms of that calendar time. It's really about 90 days, so at the tail end of spring, they're arriving in the wilderness of Sinai. Now, the wilderness of Sinai, oftentimes we think of wilderness and we think of that area of that peninsula in Saudi Arabia and those mountain ranges as being desert, but this actual word wilderness is more an unoccupied area where grazing is available. There's field that is available for cattle, et cetera, and so they're going to reside. And we'll talk in a moment about how long they'll be there and the totality of the portion of Scripture that this will contain. So they arrive in the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. 
And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall make, excuse me, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Let's pray. Father, in the next moment, or a few moments, as we look into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, Father, may we be challenged. May we be transformed in our thinking. May we be renewed in our minds by the washing of the word of God. We love you, Lord, and ask your blessings. In Jesus' name, and everyone said a strong amen. 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 So they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Now, their journey has taken some three months, and they have, in this three months, been learning to trust the Lord in their journey. Have you discovered trusting the Lord in your journey since you've believed? I know for me, it's been a long journey of learning to trust the Lord. Lesson after lesson after lesson, then I'll get an aha moment and say, oh, I should have been paying closer attention. And then it's the next lesson again and again and again, and then I have that aha moment. God wants us to have our trust fully in him, fully in him. Now, he's given us abilities. He's given us ingenuity. He's given us creativity. He's given us all these things. But if we operate just there, we're operating out of the natural. And God wants us to operate out of the supernatural. He adds his super to our natural, and something supernatural occurs. God help us to trust. So in their journey of this three months, they received his deliverance. His deliverance from the bondage in Egypt. You know the ten plagues. You know the last plague. You know from there, God's deliverance. They received his guidance. He's guided them the entire journey thus far. You know that he led them down, this massive group of people, down into this valley. And the valley of Pi-ha-herath was on one side and Migdal, the city, was on the other. And the Red Sea right in front of them. It's a no-way-out scenario Here's a military man, a man raised in Egypt with military aptitude. He knows this is absolute ambush scenario. And yet, he takes the children of Israel by the guidance of God right down there. Looking behind them, they see the Egyptians coming, Pharaoh and his armies. Then God says to Moses, stop praying Turn around, pick up your staff, raise your hands, and divide the waters. And God miraculously separates the waters. And the children of Israel cross the Red Sea on dry ground. And the armies of Pharaoh following 
God closed the waters again and completely engulfed the army of Egypt, Pharaoh, and all of his chariots and his, this war machine. God completely annihilated. His word to the children of Israel was, this army you see this day, you will see no more forever. And he was good to his word. God's always good to his word. And so for them, in a no way out situation, between that rock and a hard place, God brought victory. Then they received water from the rock and meat to eat in that God brought the quail in. And so miraculously, God's provisions. And then they received that prayerful victory over the army of Amalek, the Amalekites, and utterly uh, made and brought victory because Moses, Aaron, and Hur sought the Lord on top of the mountain. So now they've arrived. They have three months of learning and trusting and seeing the miraculous provision, let alone the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. This is something that has been happening. Well, they've now arrived at the wilderness of Sinai. The wilderness of Sinai. It's at the base of Mount Sinai. And this is now the beginning of what God had already spoken to Moses back in Exodus chapter three. Up on the screen, Exodus chapter three and verse 12 says, this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you, God speaking to Moses, this shall be a sign. When you have brought the people out of, Israel, out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is the culmination God has brought them and has literally fulfilled what he had spoken to Moses already. And now he is going to begin this time of service. And for you and I, are you ready for this? For the next 52 Sundays, we'll be with the children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. You see, for the next 57 chapters of the Old Testament, from this point in Exodus through Leviticus all the way up to Numbers 10, the children of Israel will be at the base of Mount Sinai. A full year's time in 57 chapters. You think that God might have something to say about Israel during that time that would be reflective of you and I? I think that God might want to be saying something even to us today, and we'll see that even in further in our text. So, Today we're going to be looking specifically at verses 5 and 6 out of chapter 19, but I do want to reference in verse 4, and if we could bring verse 4 back up on the slide, it says this, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. But I suggest to you this morning that God's redemptive work, God's Redemptive work and his deliverance in your life and in my life is to bring us to himself. Man, if that doesn't cry out relationship, I'm not sure I know what does. God loves you. God loves me. And God desires relationship with us. 
Tap your neighbor on the shoulder and say, wake up, man, that's good news. Wake up, that's good news, yeah. Man, that's good news. Look, God wants a relationship with you, with me. I know me. I'm not sure I would want a relationship with me. Don't tell Kim. <laughs> Somehow I've pulled the wool over her eyes. No, I, it's real. There's not one in this room good. The scripture says, no, not one. And yet, the God of the universe who's perfect in all his ways desires a relationship with us. Wow. Relationship. God is about to establish a covenant with Israel. It's a new covenant. It's a new covenant to them. Many have called it the Sinai Covenant. It includes the law. It includes sacrificing. It includes obedience. He calls them first to be obedient to his voice and to the covenant. I would say to everyone here, this is certainly a reminder to you and I that God calls us to be obedient to his voice, to the voice of the Lord. He calls us to be obedient even in a covenant sense, in that we are partakers of the new covenant in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And in that covenant, all of the law and all of the prophets are summed up in two commandments, love God and love people. Love God and love people. He's called us to obey his voice in his covenant as well. So verse five, chapter 19 says, now therefore if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me. A special treasure. That's fascinating to me. God sees Israel as a special treasure. It's noteworthy that the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham, God said to Abraham in Genesis 15, I am your exceedingly great reward. I am your shield, I am your defender, I am your exceedingly great reward. That's what God was saying to man, to Abraham. Look, Abraham, I, God, am your exceedingly great reward. Praise God. God is our exceedingly great reward, isn't he? You know, Galatians reminds us that we are blessed with believing Abraham. He is our exceedingly great reward. And that's good news. Because he really is great. And he really is good. And he really is our reward. The Abrahamic covenant was not based upon Abraham's performance. In fact, if you would recall in our time in Genesis you would recall that when that covenant was made with Abraham, where was Abraham? He was in a deep sleep. And God himself passed through the sacrifices. And that covenant was not based on some if and then statements. But this Sinai covenant is based upon two parties, it would appear, because God says, if you will obey my voice, and if you will keep my covenant, then 
you will be a special people unto me. It's amazing because God is about to give the law. Ten commandments. And God in his foreknowledge recognizes that man cannot keep the commandments. He's making a covenant with man dependent upon man's behavior. But God recognizing fully that man can't perform the behavior. The law was given to man as a tutor so that man would recognize his need for redemption in order to be in right relationship with God. And so the beauty is, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 24, God says this, an altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and you shall sacrifice there on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, the sheep and the oxen. Again, this idea, God recognizes in and of our own ability, we cannot perform. We cannot do right. We cannot choose obedience to that law. So God makes a provision for redemption. There'll be an altar, and you can make your fellowship offerings, and you can have your burnt offerings to reestablish right relationship. What I love about that is God is desirous for relationship, that he would be in a perpetual state of redeeming us to himself. And it points toward the ultimate sacrifice of God himself upon the cross at Calvary, where God became man, and as man, he died for the sins of the world, shedding his own blood, so that we might be redeemed and in right relationship with God. But here's the beauty of moving from the Sinai covenant, which was dependent upon behavior, to the new covenant in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The new covenant is based upon one party, and that is God himself. God, he went from that Abrahamic covenant where it was one party to the Sinai covenant where it was based upon two. And now over here in the New Testament, in the new covenant, in the shed blood of Christ, is dependent upon one party, upon God himself. Therefore, albeit my actions are not measured in relationship to redemption, all of that is based upon Jesus and his obedience to the law. He came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so, it is absolute grace. It's absolute grace that God provided an altar and a way for man to be redeemed, and it is absolute grace that you and I have Christ who fulfilled all of the law on our behalf. Therefore, it is not based upon our performance. It is by grace through faith in Jesus. Now, we'll talk about our behavior in just a moment. But the scripture goes on and says, as we come back to Exodus 19, Now, therefore, 
If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So three elements of the Sinai covenant with Israel. Israel shall be a special treasure to God. Special treasure. Israel shall be a kingdom of priests unto God. And Israel shall be a holy nation under God. So three elements. So you may be sitting here and saying, well, what does that have to do with me today? What's the takeaway for me? How does this, how does this apply in my life? And we see little parts that, oh, I can take that and I can learn to obey the voice of God. And well, I recognize that I'm part of a holy nation and if I evaluate my life, I might be able to identify areas of my life that are unholy and I can begin to work on those things. And so there are pieces. But let's, let's look at the New Testament for a moment because there's a portion of Scripture that the Holy Spirit saw fit for you and I to hear the Word of God. I'm pretty certain the entirety of the New Testament, by the way, is the Holy Spirit making sure that we hear the totality of the Word of God. But this one particular verse really relates back to, if you will, the Sinai Covenant. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this in verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How many of you remember singing that song? About six of us. That's awesome. Here I thought maybe I might lead you in that song. It's a great song. I'm not going to do it. It's a good song. Somebody egg me on. Nah, we're not going to do it. Uh, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a people belonging to God, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Come on. Epic. The new covenant in Jesus seems to carry within it the elements of the Sinai covenant except it's no longer based on our performance, but his. The three elements of the new covenant with the church. The church shall be his own special people. The church shall be a royal priesthood. The church shall be his holy nation. You know, it's interesting. In the Sinai covenant, God, when there was two parties that the covenant were dependent upon, God supplied and provided a way of redemption through the altar and the sacrifice and the blood that was shed for the covering of sin. And the scripture reminds us where sin abounds grace that much more. And now, in the new covenant, in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, it is dependent upon one party, and that is Jesus himself, God himself. It's no longer based upon performance. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, something miraculously transpires. 
I am forgiven. And I am cleansed from all unrighteousness. And God takes up residence. Because I become his prized possession, he now, if you will, possesses me. He owns me and he gives himself a deposit in every believer, the guarantee of our future. God the Spirit takes up residence in us. That's absolutely epic. We are, he is our earnest. He is the down payment, if you will, of those things that are future for us in the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a chosen generation. Well, those things that once belonged solely to Israel, we are now included. Their election, being chosen, the priesthood, it's no longer just their possession. It has been extended, if you will, to the Gentile nations. Thanks be to God. So, for now, the church, you and I, if your faith is in Jesus today, the church, we have that assignment to show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are the witnesses. As Israel was an example to the nations of the world, so the church is an example to the nations of the world. We're, we are not, we do not believe and hold fast to a replacement theology God is not finished with the nation of Israel. God is not finished. And his attention has never waned from Israel. There is just a window of time where the church or the Gentiles are being grafted in. Salvation to all men. And so, during this time, how are we doing sharing and shedding his light, his marvelous light, that he has called us out of darkness? Think about your life. I know I certainly have thought about my life. He's called me out of darkness. How am I doing there? How are you doing there? Just as he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, he also said, I will deliver Egypt out of you. That's removing the darkness. How is that process going with you where God is removing Egypt out, if you will? Well, let's look at these three elements, if you will, that also apply to the church. He says, the church, or you, shall be his own special people. Ephesians 1.8, the Holy Spirit made certain to remind us that we would see the value. We are the glory of his inheritance, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Remember the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 15 where he said, I am your exceedingly great reward. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says this, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? 
He sees you and me as his exceedingly great reward. Come on, that's good news. I don't know about you, but there's like one person on the planet who actually thinks I'm a reward. Kim. I mean, even our children, they're like, well, I don't know, Dad. Okay, maybe Amos. But even he kind of goes after Kim and not me so much. And yet God sees you and me in our frailties and declares we are the riches of his glorious inheritance. Blow my mind. We are his prized possession. We belong to him. <laughs> he picked you. He chose you. Have you ever found yourself, remember back in grade school and high school when they were picking teams? Boy, I do. I still see it every once in a while on a Sunday night basketball night. <laughs> it's like, who's the, who's the one guy still left standing on the wall? <laughs> Me. I mean, our soccer team, the Lambs, I took them to the slaughter last night. <laughs> our indoor soccer team, they're so gracious. They put me in the goalie box so I can't run around and make trouble. And they thought by putting me in the goalie box, I was gonna somehow occupy more space to prevent that little ball from rolling through. Yeah, I've discovered even in this size of a body, there are spaces that a ball can pass through. I didn't even know that, I didn't even know that was possible. In soccer, you're supposed to like, when the ball's coming, you're supposed to like put a knee down to stop it. Well, I put my knee down with just enough space for the ball to roll right, right through the gate. How does that even happen? I think the rest of the team was like, yes, how did that happen? <laughs> I heard the team in the other box declare out loud, well, that was embarrassing. <laughs> If ever the rapture could have occurred in a timely fashion, it would have been right then. Oh, can someone relieve me of goalie duties? <laughs> he picked us in spite of us because he loves us. He loves us. Thanks be to God. We are his prized possession. He sealed us with his Holy Spirit as the guarantee in our hearts. Thanks be to God. We have a new, a new life purpose. A new life purpose. The scripture says, in him we live and move and have our being. In him we live and move and have our being. In him we find true purpose. We find true identity. It's a new life purpose. The second element, the church shall be his royal priesthood. You know, the offices of king and priest in the Old Testament were separate offices. And yet he says now you are a royal priesthood. The two offices have become one. 
We're kids, we're kids of the king. We're royal kids. Look at your neighbor and say, you're royalty, man. You're royalty, yeah. That's good news. Listen, we bear his name. We're clothed in his garments. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Revelation chapter one, John the apostle reminds us as the spirit spoke to him and inspired him to write, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Royalty. Praise be to God. Sons and daughters of the king. Man, we have access to the king because we're family and he has called us friends and he has given us access. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10, the author reminds us in verses 19 and 20, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. In the Old Testament and in the time of the tabernacle and the temple, the priests once a year on the day of atonement would go into the Holy of Holies. They would tie a rope around his foot and if the bells on the bottom of his robe stopped making noise, they would ascertain that he must have died and they would drag the body out. One man would enter in once a year and make atonement for the nation. And now, because of what Jesus did, our high priest, he's made access to the holiest, the holy of holies. We can enter in through him every single moment of every single day. Access. Access. The veil, his flesh, broken so that we can have fellowship with God. Come on. Praise the Lord. The third element, church shall be a holy nation, his holy nation. Just as God intended Israel to be a holy nation, a nation and people set apart for the rest of the world, you and I, we are his possession set apart, sanctified for the purposes of God, the purposes of God, holy. So, a new nation means a new government. How are you doing with that new government stuff? Is it easy to submit to the government of God? I know we got about five minutes. I'm gonna tell you a little story. Because I've been part of the new government for 33 years. And I'm not, I've not discovered that it's easy in submitting. So last night at the soccer game, the team that was playing before us, 
there was a guy who two weeks ago knocked Kenzie down. And that happens from time to time in soccer games when people knock other people down. But when a man knocks a woman down, there should be some level of decorum. And this fella did not show any decorum. So I proceeded to move out of the goalie box. <laughs> and I can tell you at that moment, I was not being governed by the new kingdom. Pretty sure I was being governed by the old kingdom. And the old king was me. And the old king way only brings destruction. You know, have you, ever, have you ever gone out on your own and you realize like by the second stride that God's not in this? <laughs> but yet, somehow you, you want to be in charge at this moment because you have rights. And that guy has violated my rights and Kenzie's rights. And Dan, knowing the Lord for three years, is further in his walk than I am. <laughs> it's just, he'll be okay, honey. <laughs> you know, doing his thing with a big old grin, smiling. I'm sure he might have been mentally going through a couple scenarios. But I said to that guy, because I had at least some level of awareness of the two governments, I said, hey, bro, how about a little sportsmanship? Help her up. Then he did this. <laughs> the old government <laughs> usurped the new government. <laughs> and man, I'm telling you, it could be ugly. But the whistle was blown, and uh, I made my way back to the box. But up here, I was somewhere else. And I did not want the governess of God because I wanted immediate justice and I wanted immediate vindication and I wanted immediate results. And so after the game, when he didn't come out of the box to shake anybody's hands on our team, it just took me further down that road. So I went over to him in the box. I put my arm across and I stuck my hand out to shake his hand, and when he stuck his hand out to shake, he caught eyes with me, and I held onto his hand. And I had a few words with him. I said, bro, you're never too young to act like a gentleman. This is just a sport. You knock a girl down, you help her up. Then the language and everything else started happening, and I realized even my statements were in the flesh. I just wanted, I wanted to win somehow. So I wrestled with it for the last two weeks thinking, man, if I see that guy again, I don't know what's going to happen. And we get to the game last night, and their game is the game before our game. And I didn't even realize it. And then someone said to me, oh, this is the same team that that guy knocked Kenzie down. I want you to know, as soon as I heard those words, I went into laser focus to try and find that cat. <laughs> I mean, I put it on hyper zoom, and I'm like, where is that dude? And I'm looking. I don't even have my glasses on, but man, I had perfect vision last night. And I found that dude, 
And do you know that the moment I focused on him was the moment he had an encounter with a person on the other team that was out on the field with them. And he knocked that cat down. He got blue carded, kicked out of the game, sent back to the box, and then smugly opened up his bottle, started drinking. And I thought, oh. So I turned my laser focus on him. And I thought, if only I was Superman right now. <laughs> He'd be drinking boiling water because my laser vision would have been smoking that at 212. <laughs> Is the old government in me? And it sounds humorous now, but the Lord was doing something in me about his government and my usurping his authority in my life. And so I stared at him just hoping he would look at me, and he didn't. And then he turned around and he said to the guy who was still down on the field after about three minutes, he said, hey, bro, if you're injured, why don't you just get up and get off the field? I'm like, did he really just say that out loud? Dear Jesus, restrain me. Game ends, I walk past their box, and I'm leaning against the wall. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm lasered in on him. He didn't go out of the box to shake anybody's hand. Good old Dan, smiley, walks by me and says, hey, pastor, how you doing? <laughs> I said, I'm a train wreck. He goes, is that guy bothering you? <laughs> I said, oh man. And that's the reality, old man, old man. I took off the new garments and put on the old. How's the government of the kingdom of God, a holy nation, working in you. I got home. I think I told my wife, didn't I tell you the story? <laughs> I'm still seething. I'm like, I'm probably gonna see that guy at the gas station. And things inside of me were going, yes! <laughs> and I suppose we laugh a little bit because maybe you identify with what I'm talking about taking the reins. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. What feels good in the immediate is the gratification of the flesh. And there's no room for the flesh in the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. Will not. There's no room for the flesh. I woke up this morning, and I was, I get up early most mornings, and I'm up early this morning. Actually, it was 2.17 in the morning, and I'm awake, and I'm looking at the clock thinking, are you serious? <laughs> That's early. And I'm wrestling with what's going on on the inside of me. I'm just being transparent, gang. This is real. It's real.
and it's concluding today's message. Because it is true as believers in Christ, we have a new life purpose. We're a chosen generation. You've been chosen. We have a new access to God. We're a royal priesthood. We have a new government. We are a holy nation. We have a new owner. We are his own special people. And that's supposed to affect the way we live. To the measure which I will obey his voice and his covenant. Love God. Love people. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, in it, I don't know how God speaks to you, I just know how he speaks to me. And he said to me this morning, very early in the morning, he said, you represent me, not you anymore. It's my government, not yours. And my government's principal rule is love. And I want you to love that guy. said okay okay and when I said okay it was like the veil was removed and God simply said you don't know what I know about him you don't know you don't know why he's like this. Where were you? And it was like the conversation that Job had with God. Where were you? When? Where were you? When? He said, why would you expect the unrighteous to behave righteously? Why would you expect that? You didn't. And I said, Lord, I need your government. I need more of your governess in my life. And I'm a pretty average Joe. And if I need more governance of God in my life, I'm pretty certain that the rest of the average Joes here could use a little more governess of the Lord in our lives. Where is prized possession? He picked you and he picked me. How cool is that? Will you with me yield to his government. Isaiah the prophet reminds us, he said, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. He said, Dave, your heart's not in peace because I'm not the governor there yet. He said, if you want the increase of peace, let me govern there also. So I said, okay. So, then he directed me to the rest of First Peter chapter 2. And this is where we'll conclude. Verses 11 and 12 said, Beloved, I beg you. This is the Holy Spirit writing through the hand of Paul. 
I beg you. The Spirit of God is begging us, begging, I beseech you, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims. Gang, this world is not our home. The systems of this world are not our rules and regulations. Our citizenship is in heaven. He says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Well, that was like a home run for the Holy Spirit. Honorable amongst the Gentiles. Not in the flesh, Dave, in the spirit. Love this man. Honorable among the Gentiles. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. I want to challenge each one of us here today, and I know I've gone nine minutes over our normal. Well, that's not true. We're about five minutes before our normal stop time. It's an opportunity, everybody. It's an opportunity. With brokenness of heart, all too often in my life, I still take the reins and want to self-govern. I just want to self-govern. And I'm here to remind every one of us, it doesn't work. And you'll be unsettled. If you try and hold the reins, you also will be unsettled because we're not fit to rule ourselves. There's not a fitness. God the Spirit who dwells in us, he's fit to hold the reins. He'll guide us, he'll direct us, he'll enable us. But the moment we take the reins back, we're on a, we're on a pathway to destruction. Remember Abraham, he had a son named Ishmael some 13 or 14 years before the son of promise, Isaac. When God called Abraham to the mountain, he said, take thy son, thy only son, Isaac. Abraham had cried out to the Lord, oh, that you would only bless Ishmael. Ishmael was the work of the flesh and God did not acknowledge the work of the flesh. And God will not acknowledge the work of the flesh in your life and mine. There's no place. Is that, everybody, is that resonating with you? Will you stand with me this morning? We're going to ask the Lord to help us. If you're a candidate, and I know you are, but we're going to go through the exercise anyway. If you're a candidate for an increase of the government of God in your life, will you raise your hand? That's a great altar call. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Because he wants to invade our lives in the right sense of that and help us.
to be more closely in fellowship with him so that he can more bless our lives. Pray with me this morning.